1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Takes a shot, runs
0: into the box, shot, score! It's time for Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Tune in as Jason Blongshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Rebound, score! This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore.
2: Let's kick it. Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 92.9, The Game, and the Odyssey app. My name's Jason Longshore. Welcome to our weekly show. We cover soccer in Atlanta. We cover soccer in the United States. We cover soccer in this hemisphere in the world. I don't think there's any soccer going on out in the universe, but we'll find it if we can and we'll talk about it next week. We're going to talk a lot about Atlanta United's 3-0 win in Charlotte on Saturday. Kind of try to dive a little bit deeper into the game. That's what we do on AST. You know, it's a couple days after the game. We can get past the obvious, like Caleb Wiley being the MLS player of the week. That was obvious. Andrew Gutman called it on on Twitter right after the game. Uh, I think Mike Conti called it in the full-time report, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I mean, it was obvious, right? Caleb Wiley was ridiculously good in Charlotte with two goals and one assist and one huge defensive play that we're going to talk about as well. Uh, we're going to go a little bit deeper into a little bit of the why, a little bit of the how, and we're going to talk about some things that have maybe snowballed a little bit after this win, like some national respect for Atlanta United as they lead the Eastern Conference, But there are some other big stories in MLS. We'll talk about that as well. And the 3-4-3 will wrap us up as it always does. I guess my theme for this game with Atlanta and Charlotte, and I think WWE fans will will get this, ruthless aggression. That's what it felt like. Two goals in the first 12 minutes felt like some ruthless aggression being unleashed by Atlanta United. Look, when you're on the road in Major League Soccer, you know that you're going to get punched in the face at some point in the day. It's just difficult. It's difficult to get results away from home, maybe more so in MLS than anywhere else in the world. And there are studies that have actually kind of pointed at MLS as being one of the most difficult leagues to get results on the road. Is it travel length? Wasn't the case this time. Is it climate differences? Not really between Atlanta and Charlotte, but you know, elevation comes into play in some cases. When you go to Colorado, when you go to RSL um, playing in the middle of the day, this was something that we were talking about. Once we got to Charlotte on Friday, when you start looking at the historical numbers, one Charlotte had never lost a day game in their very, very, very short history. They were 0 and zero at home during the day last year. Games that ended before six p m Atlanta United had only won three times ever on the road in day games before this one playing during the day it's weird. It throws off your your timing. You're having to eat a different kind of breakfast if you got to get those carbs going. you got to eat it at like six or seven o'clock. Um you know, I don't know. I, I don't typically eat like a bunch of chicken and rice. Um, at, at six or seven o'clock in the morning, but you know, if that's what you got to do, it's what you got to do. Whatever they ate before this game with Charlotte, uh, they can dial up that menu once again. I think it was obvious from Atlanta's approach in Charlotte, and it shouldn't be a surprise if you've paid attention to the things that Gonzalo Pineda has said really since walking in the door in, in 2021, but especially this year. Atlanta United is not going to go on the road and be timid. They're not going to go on the road and be conservative. They're not going to go on the road and shut up shop and try to sit in the back in the defensive third and purely play on the counter. Are there going to be moments in the game where they counter? Absolutely. Are there going to be moments in the game where they don't press quite as high? Absolutely. It's a 90-minute game. It's not easy to do that for a full 90. But they're never going to go in and not want the ball and be defensive. That's not what they did in this game. They were very aggressive. The intense pressure to win the ball back in the attacking half, the physical tackles from Franco Ibarra. He made Enzo Copetti leave the game because his pride was damaged. Uh, The speed in transition, it it was so aggressive. It was ruthless. It was effective. Let's go back to our first Atlanta soccer tonight of the regular season after the San Jose win and Game State was the the theme of the show. Game State plays a big factor in Saturday as well, on the other side this time for Atlanta United. Atlanta was up 2-0 after 12 minutes. Charlotte, look, they they, they started to connect the dots a little bit after that. Atlanta was generally comfortable. I know there was a penalty that was pulled back and It was a weird call to begin with. I think ultimately the correct call was made. I know Charlotte fans are going to be upset because a penalty was taken away from them. I don't think it should have been given to them in the first place. I really do think, and I said it on the call, that maybe the AR or the fourth official got in Ismail Elfat's ear and maybe saw something different than what we eventually saw on the replay where Kamil Yusviak you know, swings and misses, and as his momentum carries him off of the miss, he goes into the back of Brooks Lennon, who had turned to block the shot and not have his arms out. Lennon didn't initiate the contact, Yusviak did, so you can't have the penalty in that situation. Right call got made. Charlotte, look, again, they connected the dots a little bit. They had some opportunities. Caleb Wiley made a huge defensive play in the first half where he tracked all the way back. It was a ball that Atlanta just couldn't get clear. It kept rattling around in the 18. And Wiley made the stabbing. I don't know if they credited him with an interception or a tackle. It's kind of one of those in-betweeners. But he makes the defensive play at the top of the six to start a break for Atlanta United and prevent a shot being on goal from six, seven yards out. That was also part of Caleb Wiley's game on this this day. It was amazing. The third goal... Late in the half, pretty much rendered the second half almost unnecessary. And, you know, when you look at the stats from the second half, you're not going to get anything out of those. It's 3-0. Was the intensity there from Atlanta United? No, it wasn't. It didn't need to be. It's almost impossible to ask it to be. Yorgos Yakamakis came in and, and chased things down and was trying to, to show that he's ready to go. And I would not be surprised if he gets to start. I wouldn't have been surprised if he had started in Charlotte, to be honest. But Miguel Berry did some important things as well. want to get into a couple of those numbers that are not generally that important in this game, but there's a couple that that jumped out to me. One was Tiago Almada. Nine shot-creating actions from Tiago Almada. That's a pretty ridiculous number. Five key passes out of that. He only had 54 touches on the day. And again, I think that kind of shows you where the intensity levels might have dropped out for Atlanta United as the day went on. But Almada dropped deep as he needed to. We'll, we'll get into each of the goals here in the next segment. But Almada, 54 touches, 5 key passes out of that, 9 shot creating actions. That is productive and efficient. The most impressive number on the day for me, besides the scoreboard, that didn't really want to work in the second half. That's a whole other story. Uh, they might need to check the plugs and stuff at Bank of America Stadium. Every starter for Atlanta United had a tackle, interception, and or block in the match. Every starter. That shows the team effort, the team commitment to defending in this game. And again, it's not defending from a conservative stance. It's defending on the front foot. And Gonzalo Pineda talked about this in preseason. It's been one of my favorite clips that I've heard from him in media availability where I actually asked him the question because we saw in Chattanooga, the team dropped more into the middle third and and got intense and and tried to close things down, almost like a trap in in some ways. It kind of came to fruition in the first goal, a little bit. But I asked him, was that something we might see more of this year? Because I know the high press was something he wanted to do a lot last year with uh, personnel. I don't think he could. Joseph Martinez could not high press. Um, It didn't work. And if one person doesn't do it, it doesn't work. And you can't high press if you consistently have to change your lineup because it takes continuity. When one person goes that shouldn't go, somebody's wide open like Michael Bradley was against Toronto. When people don't go and... Then you start to get pulled out of position then it's ineffective. You have to do it as a, as a unit. And Atlanta United did that in this one. And they also did pick their spots. And what I liked about their press was it wasn't reckless. It wasn't just chase to chase. It was a lot of, we're going to take away your options. What are you going to do now? It was a lot of, we're going to stand in front of you. We're going to take away your options. We're going to cut off the, the, the passing lanes. And now what are you going to do? How do you solve this problem? And Charlotte really struggled to, consistently, through the day. Atlanta had a really good defensive strategy. They had a good offensive strategy, too. and, And we'll talk about the goals in the next segment. There'll be plenty to discuss there. Talk a little bit of the hows and the whys on that side. But the defensive side and the ruthless aggression from Atlanta United, that really told the story in this one. It was an impressive performance. We've got more to discuss about this performance coming up in five minutes. We'll get into the goals, and we'll get into another outcome that has emerged from this match that could make things either very difficult for Gonzalo Pineda as the season goes on, or, I don't know, give him lots of options. We'll talk about that five minutes, Atlanta soccer tonight. We'll be back on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Back to more of Atlanta soccer tonight with Jason Longshore
2: on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back. Atlanta soccer tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Jason Longshore breaking down Atlanta United's 3-0 win in Charlotte before we jump into the rest of the major league soccer action from the weekend. Let's talk about the three goals because I think each one was interesting in and of itself. You had a goal scored off of a long ball played by Brad Kazan. That was not won initially by Atlanta United. You had a goal scored off of an Atlanta United throw in uh, maybe 45 yards or so from goal. And you had a brilliant team goal that was very efficient in the number of touches and how vertical it was without playing long, reckless passes that are hopeful. So the first one, it's early in the match, and Brad Gazan um, has the ball. He sets it down. He plays it long because there's nothing on. Charlotte's up high pressing. So Brad plays it into the middle third, and Atlanta doesn't win it initially. It settles with Carol Swiderski who was playing on the right wing, which was weird, and I don't really understand Charlotte's tactics on that, but that's another story for another day, maybe later in the show. But Schwedersky starts dribbling diagonally from the middle right of the field across to the left, and he runs into Luis Adarujo and Brooks Lennon. Adarujo had dropped. Lennon's there. There's nowhere for Swiderski to go. He's up against the touchline. He's trapped. This is where Charlotte really started to crumble, and it starts there because those two cut off the, the dribbling lane. He has nowhere to go. He, he can't go further wide. There's nowhere to go. The touchline is there. He would have been better off conceding possession there, dribbling it out of bounds, and then giving Atlanta a throw. He didn't do that. And Charlotte really shifted in a weird way here. So Ashley Westwood, the central midfielder, dropped into where you might think the left back would be And Brent Bronico has nowhere to go, and he just kind of stands a few yards in front of him up against the touchline. So, Schwederski plays it back to Westwood. There's five Atlanta players there with three Charlotte players in the ball. You like that if you're Atlanta United. That doesn't happen by accident. Gonzalo Pinedo works on these things. You create numerical superiority, whether you have the ball or you don't. They had it here. Again, Charlotte's better off to play this out for a throw and reset. Westwood, with his experience in the Premier League, doesn't do that. He doesn't just play it long to try to reset. He gives it to Bronico. And Bronico has nothing here. Absolutely nothing. He tries to play a pass inside to Kamil Yuzviak, who would come across to help. But at this point, because you have that numerical superiority, a Marcedic can take a risk. If you're 1v1 in this part of the field, can't take a risk. If you're 5v3 and maybe 3.5 with Yusviak getting over there at that point, trying to close the gap and and help a little, okay, you can take a risk. You've got cover. So Sadich dives in. He reads what Bronico's going to do. It was telegraphed a little bit. He dives in. He gets the touch. Boom, quick transition goal. It's that simple. When you can make that quick transition, Tiago Almada can lead the break. Caleb Wiley can slam at home. That's it. But it started with the defense. It started with Adarujo and Lennon. And then, look, bad decisions from Charlotte help you in this, but this idea that this game was Charlotte really not playing well and Atlanta United was just a passenger is is absolutely not true. That mistake was forced by Atlanta United. The second goal, pressure, once again, forces the ball out. Charlotte trying to pass out of the back. They're a possession team. They were second in the league in possession coming into this game. They try to pass out of the back. Little bit of pressure, and again, it's that pressure that's not chasing the ball to try to win it back or flying into a tackle. It's that pressure of, I'm going to take away your options. Now what? And the idea wasn't to pass it out. The idea was to make a more difficult pass to try to release Milanda a little bit. He can't get it. Goes out for a throw. We've seen Atlanta United have issues with these over the years. Uh, Charlotte did here. It's a, it's a throw in that wasn't even exceptionally quick, but it, it just wasn't closed down well. And it's a throw in to uh, big Miguel Barry's chest. He's, he's a big guy. It's a big target. And the throw goes right off of his chest down to his feet or no, sorry. He chests it to Caleb Wiley, who's making the run. Brilliant play from Barry. He only had six or so passes on the day, and that was a big one. He, he should have gotten a secondary assist, but I think it took a little bit of a deflection enough to take the secondary assist away. Sorry, Miguel. I lobbied for him. I lobbied for that, but it sounds like it wasn't going to happen. Then Caleb Wiley with a moment of brilliance. The outside of the left foot pass across to Ujo. He gets the 1v1 and he scores. And he needed a goal in the worst way. And Caleb Wiley with just such a smart play. The outside of the left foot. That's some swagger on young Caleb. Love it. So a throw in and defensive pressure. And you get two goals. And you have to fight a little bit. You have to scrap and claw, and you get through it. And you get an opportunity where the ball is at Miles Robinson's feet. Everything's in front of him. Charlotte's pressure is not as intense as it needs to be. And Miles has patience. And and I loved to see this from Miles Robinson. And I know Michael Parkhurst, uh, former captain of Atlanta United, commented on Twitter about this. This is something that Robinson might not have done before now, honestly, I mean, the patience on the ball, it's borderline like La Palsa to pause to put your, he didn't put the foot on his ball. He didn't stop it, but he kind of stops and lets everything happen in front of him. And the biggest thing that happened is Tiago Almada made a long run back and across to get into acres of space, acres, its big field, at bank of America stadium. But man, why aren't you following Tiago Almada? He gets it because Robinson waited for it to open up. Plays it to Almada. Almada turns, beats people, and then you're in trouble. You're in big, big, big trouble at this point. Almada's got options. It's maybe 3v3, 4v3-ish at this point as you get into the edge of the attacking third. He flicks it over to Arturujo. Almada stays central. Wiley's coming up on the left side. Miguel Berry is in the middle in front of this, onside. Miguel Berry made a huge play on the third goal, and he didn't touch the ball. And he, he wouldn't be able to get an assist for this. I would have lobbied for it as well. Uh, Miguel Berry, with the limited amount of interaction that he had in this match, made the most of it. He was involved in goal number two, and he made the hard run to the near post when the pass was made to Otarujo, And he made the run in front of Bill Tuiloma. So Tuiloma is there. Um, I, Melanda's kind of lost at this point. Nathan Byrne is the right back who's tucked in. And Tui Loma is is there as the center back on the right side. When Barry makes that run across the front of him, Tui Loma has to deal with it. Because if he doesn't, then you can slip it to Barry. He's wide open. So Tui Loma has to step to Barry. That leaves Byrne to deal with Almada and Wiley making the run down the left. The run from Barry opened it up. And Adarujo cuts it back inside. It takes a little bit of a touch. Almada could try to force it. But he knew, again, because he doesn't have to look, he's got eyes in the back of his head. He knows that Wiley's coming. He knows that Byrne's going to bite. Byrne bites on Almada, just giving a little bit of a, a body fake. And he lets it roll. Wiley slots at home. Doesn't go for power. Goes for placement. That's goal number three. And the game's done and dusted at that point. Three very different kinds of goals. And that's what Gonzalo Pineda has wanted out of Atlanta United in 2023. All the talk about not shooting from distance. If the shot's on from distance and it's a good look, take the shot. I have no problem with that. Don't settle for those. Don't take a whole bunch of them. But if it's on and it's a good look and it's Tiago Amada or or Luis Ararujo, because yes, he can hit it. Mateus Osatiu, yes. There are guys who can take that shot from distance. If it's on, take it. But also... You can create goals off of your defending, as we saw in goal number one. You can create goals off of set pieces. And this was something that they worked on specifically on Tuesday last week in their open training session. They worked on quick restarts and going to goal. Quick restarts going to goal. Not waiting, then looping it into the 18 and hoping. That's what Charlotte did all day. You know, it, it, that's that's old school. That's, that's a low percentage. Play it fast. Get the ball going. Set it down. Play take a throw in play get the ball moving quickly you've got ball players in this team and that's what they want to do and that's what they worked on and it delivered and then goal number three is kind of just the immense quality that this team has and when they have the ball they can they can hurt you and they can end games like they did in this one that goal ended the game charlotte could have got one in the second half wouldn't have mattered. really wouldn't have mattered so Atlanta United, I thought, really put a lot of things together in this game. And they really only had to play for 45 minutes at full intensity. That's good. When you start adding minutes up of intense soccer, we talked about it in the first two weeks. You're having to come from behind. That's not the life you want to live. That's stressful. That's stressful, not just physically, but emotionally. It takes a lot out of you. When you're able to go at about 75%, In the second half, because if you've got a three goal lead, those are good days. Those are good days at the office. And that was what it was for Atlanta United on Saturday. What is another outcome of this game that maybe is a good thing? Maybe is a not bad thing, but maybe a just complicated thing for Gonzalo Pineda coming out of this lineup battles, position battles. You got a bunch of them, and that's a good thing in general but you do have to manage the the individuals and that can be a tricky thing sometimes um everybody wants to play they all put the work in on the training ground i think this team is incredibly bought into everything right now it's great to see but everybody wants playing time and there's not minutes for everybody and that's only a little more complicated after this game in my opinion we saw santiago sosa for the first time And he had to play a little bit different position because right now, the sixth position is being held down by Franco Ibarra. And he is a monster at the moment. An absolute monster. He is physical. He goes in for that tackle on Enzo Copetti. And I could watch that replay until the next game on Saturday. I really could. It's that good of a tackle. Copetti goes flying. Ibarra wins the ball cleanly. Copetti rolls around. He's pointing. He's trying to find something to complain about. And there's nothing to complain about. So it's just beautiful from Franco Ibarrá, And that physical play, I felt like I was screaming at times last year, late in the season, that this team needed a little bit of nastiness, a little bit of edge, a little bit of physicality. Sometimes they got bullied. Uh, Franco Ibarrá is playing. They're not going to get bullied at all. He's a monster. And he's not coming out of the lineup right now. He's playing that well. And you got to ride the high hand. Um uh, Mateus Osachiu, first two games. I thought he was was very, very good, especially the second one. Very, very good. He has a slight hamstring issue. I don't know what his availability will be for this week, but Amar Sadich comes in, plays the Amar Sadich game. It's clean, it's efficient. He makes the tackle that leads to the first goal. He doesn't make big mistakes. You do have questions because when it's Ibada and Sadich, they're not the most athletic in terms of speed. But if the positioning is there, if the way the team is playing is there, you can make it work with those two. As we saw here, it worked really well, really, really well. Uh, the left wing, you know, Derek Etienne was signed to be a starter. He had a, a, an injury coming into preseason. He hasn't played ninety minutes yet in in a match, either in preseason or in regular season. And Caleb Wiley is the MLS Player of the Week right now, <laughs> so. Uh, I don't think Caleb Wiley's going to the bench anytime soon. That's a good problem to have, but you got to manage Derek Etienne and you got to manage his personality and keep him happy as best as you can without putting him in just to make him happy because Caleb Wiley's playing great. Up front, I think it's a little more clear cut that Yorgos Yakamakis will be the guy. I think Miguel Berry has made the most of his opportunities though and it's the little things from Miguel Berry. It's the little things. That he's doing that are very, very good. But Yorgos Yakamakis is special. And I think he'll be in the team as soon as he is ready. But man, seven points out of a possible nine, that's the best start in club history. Six points had been the mark. It had happened three times in a 18 and 19 and in 22, I think. Yeah, last year, because they lost the Colorado game. Um and that was it. They won the other two. They started 3-1-1 one, and one before the injuries all hit. So seven points out of nine, you're not looking to really change much. I do think Yakimakis could be the change this week. Um, Central midfield, hey, we've been saying it for a while. Do not be surprised if you see more of uh, Mr. Johnny Fortune. He made his MLS debut, the 10th homegrown player for Atlanta United to play in an official match. That's really cool this early in a club's career to have that many. And there's more coming. Noah Cobb's going to join that list here very soon. Uh, Luke Brennan will be a homegrown next year. I think he's going to play pretty quickly, straight out of the gate. There's more coming. And a uh, Johnny Fortune is going to not just be here in its nice little story that he got some minutes, he's pushing for more minutes. Don't be surprised if you see a Johnny Fortune coming up here very, very soon on a more regular. Basis for Atlanta United. It's a fun time right now. I hope the 17s are enjoying this. This is good soccer from Atlanta United, and it's complete soccer. On the ball, off the ball, every aspect of it. Right now, clicking. Is it going to continue to click? The Portland Timbers are coming to town next week. It's not clicking for them right now. Uh, The only thing that's clicking are the crutches these days for the Portland Timbers, as they have the injury outbreak that Atlanta saw last year. What are we going to expect out of Portland? You're going to hear a couple of clips from Giovanni Savaresi after the break. We'll bounce around Major League Soccer. And in the 343, we'll wrap us up here in just a bit. But we'll be back in five on 92 9 The Game and the Odyssey app.
0: When it comes to the world of soccer, we've got you covered. This
2: is Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore
0: on Sports Radio 92.9 The
2: Game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Talking about Atlanta United's big win over Charlotte FC. We're putting a bow on that. And we're looking ahead to this weekend as the Portland Timbers come to town. One and two on the year, the Timbers. They won week one at home. It got pushed back to Monday. The snowstorm's out out on the West Coast. They won that. They were losing 3-0 to LAFC, and it came back to make it 3-2. Gave LAFC a scare, but they lost that. They took the lead early against St. Louis City SC on this Saturday night and then conceded twice, once really late in the first half, and that's a that's a backbreaker. And then they conceded the go-ahead goal to St. Louis that ended up winning the match. And, and they lost to the expansion team. A little bit of a surprise. But when you look at the injuries that Portland are dealing with, maybe it's not a huge surprise. We're going to hear a couple things from Giovanni Savarese here in just a second. But the Timbers did make some news today. I don't think it's going to affect Saturday. But look, you never know. Uh, they have a new option at Stryker. They have signed Frank Boley, who is on a one-year deal. He's got an option for next year. 29 years old, Boley, 42 goals, 11 assists in 126 games with Ferencvaros Varos in Hungary. Played one time for the Ivory Coast national team during 2022 FIFA World Cup qualifiers. He comes in and will be part of a forward group that is maybe one of the spots of the team that is least injury hit. Felipe Mora is out with an injury. He won't be back for a little while. But Yaroslav Nishgoda and Nathan Fogaccia are both healthy. And it's interesting because Portland played two up top at the end of the LAFC game when they made their comeback, and they did it from the start against St. Louis. Let's start there with Giovanni Savarese because he was asked about that. They have generally played a 4-3-3 during his time in Portland. Savarese was asked after the St. Louis game, uh, this was in the post-match presser, about the idea of playing 3-5-2-5-3-2, and in a little bit about the match itself against St. Louis. Here's Giovanni Savarese.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, we at the beginning, we were going to go in a different way, but once uh, Evander wasn't available to play, uh, we felt and we worked on uh, the system that was the same system that we finished the game against uh, LAFC. Um, I thought we played well. I thought we did a lot of good things. I thought that we had a lot of energy. I mean, uh, we cannot be blind from just looking at this the scoring of finding and looking at the good things that we did because we did many. Uh, we just have to make sure that we that we have to do better in 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 the details in in uh you know making better decisions in the final third you know not allowing goals at the you know uh, towards the end of of the first half uh those those moments uh, kill you um and uh we just have to make sure that we manage some things a little bit better but the the effort of the team the way you know we played and and I thought, the The fight that we put in uh, through the entire match, uh, you know, they, uh, I thought that the guys uh, gave everything that they ha- they had. So uh, we just have to make sure that we continue to work. But yeah, the system at the end, we decided to go this way because of the personnel that we had.
2: A Giovanni Savarese team is never going to lack fight. He is one of the most respected managers in the league, and the just amount of. Good stories that I've heard from players, from people around the league about Gio. He's one of my favorite managers to, to listen to and to hear around the league. And he's just an inspiring kind of guy. You want to play for him. So they're always going to have that fight. They're not at full strength right now. Even in that clip, he mentioned Evander, who who did play, but is not 100%. He didn't start the game. He had to come on for Christian Paredes, who did was injured. Um, not sure the extent of the injury just yet. I would be shocked if he made the trip to Atlanta just a week later after that. It looked like a muscle injury. Evander came on in early in the first half. He had to leave before the game was over in the 70th minute uh, as his groin was tightening up. And that was an issue they were worried about because he didn't really train during the week. They've got three guys with knee injuries who will not be back anytime soon. Uh, Maybe over the next couple of months, they'll start to ease back in. Uh, Sebastian Blanco has not played with an injury. He's got a knee issue, but he didn't require surgery like the other three. Um, Jimmy Chara is another one with a muscle injury, hamstring What's it looking like for him? They feel like Paredes might not be quite as bad as Chara's hamstring. Jimmy Charra, Diego Charra is still ageless and running around the midfield because he always will. Portland's got some issues lineup wise, and, and I thought it was really important that Savarese said they went to that lineup. One, because it looked good against LAFC, but two, because of the personnel that were available to him. Without Evander, they wanted one more midfielder. That could kind of help them hold the ball, and they wanted two up top. It also allowed them to get Claudio Bravo and Juan David Mosquera, who's been their best player this season, in wing-back roles, where they could get forward even more and take more chances with three center backs. Here's Gio talking about the injuries that Portland is dealing with at the moment.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's very unlucky. Um, too many players injured when we felt maybe that we still had... A group, group uh, to put a fight and all of a sudden the, the first f- this first sprint uh he gets injured um and uh is the second uh hamstring that we that we have after jimmy i don't think this one is going to be as bad as jimmy thank god um but it still will be something that will be solved it's not going to be solved or heal as quick anyway so it will be probably a few games. Um, and then uh, we had the situation with Evander during the, during the week um, that uh, he couldn't train. And then uh, at least he he was able to make it to the game. And then in the game, he was feeling uh, a little bit of uh, a growing tightness and wouldn't would want to risk in any way uh, to get another injured player. And that's why we, we had to stop them uh, at the time that we did. Um, so we're very thin, and, but we still have to continue to put a good fight.
2: What Portland's going through, Atlanta United fans can relate to, because we saw it last year. Um, Kansas City fans can relate to it as well. They saw it last year. Kansas City is just one of the weirdest teams when it comes to luck. They were leaking goals last year. This year, they're pretty good defensively, but they can't buy a goal. They've got more shot creating actions than anybody in the league. Uh, I think more shots on target than anybody in the league. No goals. It's just Peter Vermes, Somebody cursed him. I don't know. I, I don't know what he needs to do. Uh, Saint Louis was the opponent for Portland. They got the win. They're three and zero, nine points. They've come back to win in all of those. This is a club that you know. We talked last year a lot about Charlotte and how they built their team. And it didn't seem to make any sense to the point that their former manager said something in Spanish that I can't repeat. Um, probably did not help the relationship with the sporting director. And eventually uh Miguel Angel Ramirez was relieved of his duties. Um, he wasn't necessarily wrong at that time. I could understand the frustration. They did not have any wingers. Now they're playing a forward at on the wing in Schwedersky, they're playing a central midfielder as a left back in Brant Bronico. Um, they're not playing Kerwin Vargas, who was their best player on Saturday when he came off the bench in the second half when it didn't really matter, but still he was dangerous. They're not playing Nuno Santos on a regular basis, and I don't get that. I, I don't know what's going on with Charlotte in terms of identity. Like I know the basics of they want the ball and they want to be a possession team and they want to bet out of the back, but that's not exactly enough to be an identity. St. Louis has a very clear identity, and you could tell straight away. Lutz van Steele talked about the identity. You knew from his background what he was going to do. He went out and he hired Bradley Carnell, who had been with the Red Bulls. Absolutely made sense. You could draw a straight line between those two moves. Then the players start getting signed. You could draw straight lines to the kinds of players that were getting signed. It was obvious this was going to be a team that You know, had some some technical ability on the ball, but that wasn't the number one thing. They wanted to be able to press. They wanted to be able to harass teams. They want to be able to play without the ball, which you guys who have ever heard me talk about soccer, you know that's not my favorite identity. Can it be effective? Absolutely. Can it be effective straight out of the gate in this league? Yeah, I think it's probably an easier route. I do think it has a lower ceiling, and I think Philadelphia even last year had to show that they could play with the ball when they needed to. And they became a very good attacking team and not purely from forcing turnovers and in-transition moments. St. Louis will have to continue to do that. They, they can't always fall behind and come back. But this is a team that is completely and utterly bought in. They built a roster that makes sense. They hired a manager that makes sense. Everything makes sense. And 3-0 and makes sense. Coming back in all three games doesn't make sense, but we'll see if that holds. LAFC, undefeated. Makes sense. They're very, very good. 4-0 win over New England on Sunday. Dennis Boanga is telling everybody that no, this club does not need to go out into the transfer market and sign a number 9. I'm that guy. Two goals, one assist against New England. Midweek, he had a hat trick at Alawalense in the CONCACAF Champions League. Five goals in a few days. That's a pretty good week for Mr. Boanga. Enter Miami. They don't need a forward because they've got a couple, even though Campana is injured and Joseph Martinez uh, really isn't getting many looks at all and isn't really involved much in what's going on in Miami, but that's a whole nother story. Miami might need a captain and a central midfielder because their captain, Gregory, is out indefinitely. A Liz Franc injury in the match against New York City, and the crazy thing, and some people will say that karma is involved, and I'll let you guys decide, Matthias Pellegrini, who was one of the first signings ever from Miami, and he was the one who, when they uh, were punished for having too many designated players, because they lied about how much money Blaise Matuidi was making, even though when he was signed, we all said, how are they doing that as a TAM deal? That doesn't make any sense. Well, they weren't really following the rules. Um Pellegrini was the one who suffered and lost basically a year of his career because of it, because they had to buy him out. Then they didn't find anywhere for him to go. So he was just kind of languishing. He trained with their second team for a while. He went back on loan to, to Estudiantes in Argentina. Eventually, he gets to New York City, and it's Matthias Pellegrini who goes in with a pretty nasty tackle and injures Gregory. Now, Pellegrini did not intend for that to happen. He felt really bad about it after the match. He talked to Phil Neville for a long time afterwards. Um, but maybe karma, but probably not. Um, really bad situation for Gregory and a bad situation for Miami, who was 2-0 and coming into this match on the road, first time on the road. They didn't get the win in New York. They were outplayed pretty heavily, and how long will he be out? Maybe the rest of the season. Um, A procedure will happen tomorrow, and they'll know more about his recovery after that. Austin, what a week Austin has had, (laughs) because they completely and utterly got blown out in CCL by Violette, who we'll talk about them in the 3-4-3, uh, might have something resembling a team tomorrow, might not in the second leg. But they bounce back from that and they go to RSL and they score two golosos on the way to a win. Two golosos with Atlanta connections: John Gallagher and Owen Wolf with long-range rockets. Wolf's was the winner. Um, didn't see that one coming from Wolf. Gallagher's had a few of those bangers before in his career, but it's a, it's a good win for Austin. Now they have a huge Champions League match this week talk about it in the 3-4-3. The last one in MLS that I wanted to touch on, uh, two of them. Cincinnati is the game I wanted to touch on. Bit of a statement in a home win over Seattle 1-0. They had to finish the match out with 10. Uh, Nick Hagland got a second half red card. It was deserved and it, it was the right call. VAR helped out on that one. Since he got it done, and they're not really getting a lot out of Brenner and Brandon Vasquez right now either, and they're still getting it done. I... I Cincinnati was a team that I thought was being overhyped coming into the season. That's a big win. It wasn't home. It wasn't Cincinnati, but it is a big win against Seattle. So I want to give them their credit. I do want to see them do this consistently. Uh, That's the next step for them. Are they a supporter shield kind of a team? Not sure of that just yet. Um, I do want to play you this really quickly. This was the goal call of the week, not including ours because we can't vote for ourselves uh, any of Caleb Wiley's goals. This was Chris Durkin from the DC United Radio Network with uh, legend Dave Johnson on the call. Ben Tecky. Give me a little side. Chest traps it. Flicks it to Giazzi. He has to go back and get it near midfield.
0: Well, sent forward by Derek Williams. Trying to get behind is Pedro Santos, and he does win in the left corner with Schlegel marking. Santos.
2: That's a good ball, Durkin.
0: Durkin gets a left footed shot. It's in the net. It's in the
1: net. It's in the net. A wonder goal from Chris Durkin. Just outside
3: the box on the left side. And we are tied. Chris Durkin.
2: Yeah, I love the call from from Dave Johnson. And Bruce Murray was the color commentator who uh, might have woken you up with his yell. Uh, Former Atlanta Ruckus player, Bruce Murray. All right, that'll do it for this segment. We've got the 343 coming up. Three local stories, four world headlines, three things that make me smile about this game that we all love so much. The 343 is up next in five on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. It's time to wrap up tonight's show with the three-four-three. 4 3 3-4-3. Three. Four. Three. Three. three local stories, four headlines from around the world, and three things
0: that made you smile about the game. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game.
2: Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Final segment, the three-four-three. Three. Lots of info in a very short period of time. Three local, four headlines, three smiley faces. Let's roll. Three local stories. Number one, Georgia Soccer and Inner Atlanta Youth Club are hosting a female-only D-licensed coaching course this summer. The virtual intro meeting is May 29th. In-person sessions will be in June and July at the Arizona Avenue Soccer Fields in Atlanta. Visit Georgia Soccer on Instagram for more information. Check their website at georgiasoccer.org. Love to see this. We need more coaches that are being trained properly of all genders, but we definitely need more female coaches. And there have not been many female-only coaching courses that I know of in Georgia soccer history. Love to see this from Georgia soccer and enter Atlanta. The Georgia high school season is number two on the list. It's just past the midpoint of the year. Uh, The playoffs will start the second week of April. So you've still got games to be played here, but the rankings are coming out from scoreboard.com. And each classification has its own set of rankings. And some of them feel legit. Some of them feel like certain schools get favored over time. These are coaches voting in the poll. But the overall, all classification rankings, I, I think, are both accurate. Shambly is number one on the girls' side. They won the state championship last year. They lost it on a rules violation about coaches being involved, uh, co- community coaches being involved with clubs that players play from that club at the school, even if they're not on the gender of the team that the coach is involved in, which gets really complicated in some areas. You know, if it's a, a, a coach at a club working with boys, and he works with the girls team at the school, but there's boys from that club who are at the school and he's not coaching them at the school. It's still a problem. <sighs> it's a little weird, but Chambly, they're number one. They're on their revenge tour. They're beating everybody. They're 11-0-1, they do have one draw, but they're playing teams who are in the top five in, they're in 5A. They're playing teams in 6A and 7A. They're beating everybody. They had one stretch where they played Three ranked teams in four days and beat them all. Beat them all bad. Shambly revenge tour is pretty ridiculous so far in 2023. They're number one on the girls' side. McIntosh in Peachtree City is number one on the boys' side. They're 11-0. They've won big games against teams in bigger classifications. They also beat their biggest competition in their classification, Dalton. That game was played in Peachtree City, but McIntosh got that win. 11-0-0. There's another perfect team right behind them on the boys' side, Johnson of Gainesville. They're 10-0-0, and they just went up to Dalton and beat them in Dalton. It's a little surprise that didn't put Johnson to number one. McIntosh won, Johnson's two. Two great teams. There's a lot of good high school soccer going on around the state. We'll see if these two are both on top, at least in their classifications, once that state tournament starts in about a month. All right, number three on the local side, Atlanta United's unified team. They're having their annual signing day on Wednesday. Uh, Gallagher presents the Atlanta United unified team, provides a ton of support. Now, if you don't know the unified team and the way that it works, it's a team of athletes. Uh, One group of athletes have intellectual disabilities. They have partners who do not, and and they work together, and they play soccer in in an inclusive manner. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's so great to, to get to, to meet these players who are part of this part of the club. And it is an important part of the club. Um, they get to play other MLS unified teams. They get to travel for a game and, and get the full professional team treatment while they're on the road. Uh, really cool. I know they'll be playing in Dallas later this year after Atlanta United plays out there and they will be playing here at home coming up not that far away. I want to say against Charlotte. I might be wrong on that, but that's coming up. When they play at home, they'll play after the first team game. If you can stay and support that team, please, please do. One of the coolest things that I'll always remember about this club was the game out in Utah against RSL in 2019, where Atlanta United gave up a late goal to lose. Gave up kind of two late goals to lose, but one in stoppage time to lose. And, I mean, it was a gut-wrenching loss. And that's a tough trip and a tough place to play. There is altitude. It, it's, it's difficult. Brad Gazan went into the locker room, got a jacket, might have changed his top, whatever, and came back out because he's one of the ambassadors. He's been an ambassador for the unified team for five years. And he came back out and gave them their pregame talk and, and got them ready to go and cheered them on. And he was gutted after that game, but he did his responsibility as a captain and as an ambassador for the unified team. It's one of those moments that I will always remember about Brad as a person, but just about the unified team and how important it is. So signing day on Wednesday, home game coming up here soon. I'm almost positive it's going to Charlotte definitely there will be news about that before they go on the road against Dallas later in the year. All right, four headlines from around the world, and it can be kind of local, and it can be all over the world. We've got Champions League stuff we'll get into here, but we've got to start with uh, the soap opera that is U.S. soccer these days. <sighs> I, I feel like I need the Charlie Brown drop of a uh, good grief. That's what this feels like. Uh, the report came out from U.S. soccer that they had to do because of the complaint that was uh, initiated by both of the Reynas, um, Gio Reynas' parents. Claudio Reyna is a U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer. He was the general manager slash technical director for Austin FC uh, before he was pushed into a, an advisor kind of role. Well, they might want to distance themselves from him entirely because, whoo, buddy, um, the report, Gets into the, it's not alleged because uh, both Greg Berhalter and his wife, Rosalind, talked about it. Um, An incident when they were freshmen in college where um, Greg kicked her and pushed her down and kicked her. Um, I I think it's consistent that she slapped him first. Uh, They were, I, I believe, intoxicated at a college event. And this happened. And they broke up. They were dating at the time. They broke up. They got back together about a year later. And it was not anything like an incident that in- involved a police report or a complaint or anything like that. There wasn't a complaint filed with the school level with anything. Um, so there, there wasn't anything that would have kept Greg Berhalter from getting hired. And that was the threat that was made by the Reynas in their comments because they were upset about Gio Reyna not getting more playing time. And in this report, it comes out that they acted out and were childish and ill-tempered and sounds like ill-mannered during their time in Qatar as part of the friends and family program. Uh, Claudio Reyna complained about Gio Reyna being red carded in U.S. Soccer Developmental Academy games when he was younger, before he went to Germany complained about female referees on his son's games, which is an absolutely absurd comment and one that is very embarrassing for Claudia Reyna to actually make to the U.S. Soccer Federation. He did that. Um, look, I've said it before. I don't think U.S. Soccer should just automatically hire Greg Berhalter again for another cycle. I think they should explore all their options, and they should be doing that now. They need to have that sporting director in place and if you were intending to be a sporting director for u.s soccer you might think twice about it when you hear about this stuff because it's totally embarrassing come on y'all seriously Gio Reyna acted out because he wasn't going to start against wales period he didn't put in the work that he needed to he didn't have the attitude that he needed to have at a world cup he was a distraction to the point that he had to be talked to multiple times by multiple people before he apologized to the team for his actions. That happened. That That's real. And by the way, Tim Weah, who started, kind of had a good tournament, didn't he? So drama for the sake of drama. It's an embarrassing thing for U.S. soccer, and it's not going to help them hire a sporting director. And... It would be great if you could just move on clearly and hire another very good coach. You shouldn't run away from Greg Burhalter because the Reynas were horrible in this situation. As former very, very, very close friends to the point that Claudio Reyna was Greg Burhalter's best man at his wedding. And then this happened. It, it's just, it's insane. Um, I, think the US, I think U.S. soccer can hire a better coach. I think Ger- Greg Burhalter did a fine job during his cycle. He won the Nations League. He won the Gold Cup. Those are accomplishments that you cannot take away from him. You can try. You can come up with whatever you want to say. Can't take those away from him. He got about as far as this team probably should have at the World Cup. I had no problem with the performance at the World Cup. I had no problem with the tactics at the World Cup. I think he got more right than he got wrong. Can you get better? And that's what U.S. soccer should be asking itself because I think they can. That's not a knock on Berhalter. I just don't think you get better in the second cycle, period. It's very, very hard to do. I think they'd be better off with a new voice. But this is a real bad stain on U.S. soccer, and I I hope they can overcome it. And they're going to have to very quickly with a new sporting director hire who can hopefully provide a clean slate. Uh, Number two on the headlines part. Weekend of rivalries coming up in Liga MX. The Clásico Nacional, which is Club América and Chivas. That's a huge, huge game. That's on Saturday. And the Clasico Regio that is in Monterey. That is Tigres and Monterey. Both are on Saturday. Monterey's is leading the table right now. Seven points clear. Tigres is in third on goal differential. They got to deal with CONCACAF Champions League in Orlando on Wednesday. Rayados can just sit and hang out and wait. That's going to give uh, Monterey a big advantage. Rogelio Funes Mori killing it right now. Eight goals in 11 games. Chivas has been one of the surprises in Liga MX. Velko Ponovich, who did not do well for Chicago, he's got them at fourth right now. And they're level on points with Tigres and Toluca, all second, third, fourth. is one point behind them in fifth. Club America beat Tigres over the weekend. That CCL effect could be hurting Tigres a little bit. We'll see how they do in Orlando on Wednesday. Speaking of CCL, that's number three in the 343 midfield section. Second legs this week, Philadelphia. They'll play Alianza tomorrow night. No Andre Blake groin injury against Chicago over the weekend. First leg scoreless. Union will be favorites to advance. They should. Can Joe Bendick keep Alianza off the board? I don't think he's going to be tested that much, to be perfectly honest. I think Philadelphia gets through, but it might not be pretty. Alianza's a scrappy bunch. The story of the tournament so far is Violette of Haiti. They took Austin to the woodshed in the first leg. That was in the Dominican Republic. It was a 3-0 win. They won't be at full strength tomorrow. We know that much. A large number of players and staff were unable to get their visas in time for the match, and I don't know whose fault it is. Uh, They've added a few players from the U.S., including two from FC Motown, who played in last year's U.S. Open Cup. So I don't know who they have. I don't know if it's the same starting lineup they had. I don't know what the bench looks like. I don't know if the coach knows these guys' names. I don't know. Austin's got to score four, so we'll see if they can do that. That's the weirdest game you could ever imagine. That's tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Atlas will be trying to come back at home as well. They got rolled on the road in the first leg, 4-1 in Honduras to Olympia. Atlas hasn't won a game since game one of the Clausura on January 12th. I don't think they get past Olympia here. I think Olympia will park all the buses they can find in Guadalajara in front of the goal on that one. Wednesday Orlando they need to win at home they got a great scoreless draw on the road at Tigres can they get the goals they need Pedro Galese stood on his head in Monterey against Tigres they need somebody to score goal scoring they've played four games in all competitions they got two goals yeah. Vancouver's got goals, but they can't give them to Orlando. Vancouver should be able to cruise. They won 5-0 at BC Place over Real España last week. They play the second leg on Honduras. They should be fine. LAFC should be fine. They won 3-0 on the road at Alahualense. They'll play this week at BMO Stadium in LA. They should be fine. León, they host Tauro of Panama. León's got a 1-0 win there and on the road. I think they get through. Pachuca is a little interesting here. They got a scoreless result on the road at Motagua in the first leg. They got to win the home leg. They lost at home over the weekend. It was the Monterrey, the league leaders. Motagua comes in after a win in league play over Victoria. I think Pachuca will get through, but that could be a sneaky good game to watch. UEFA Champions League final second legs. This is number four round of 16. Pretty much done and dusted. Not a ton of drama here. Enter, they won 1-0 on the road. They get the second leg. I think they get through. Manchester City won 1-1 in Germany against RB Leipzig. They get the home leg. I think they get through. Erling Haaland, 33 goals in all competitions. Real Madrid, 5-2 on the road. They get Liverpool at the Estadio Santiago Bernabeu. I think they're going to be just fine. Carlo Ancelotti is not going to try to impress anybody. They'll get through. Napoli should get through. They won 2-0 on the road in the first leg. They're killing it right now. I think Napoli gets through as well. Three things that make you smile as we go. Number one, the progress of the Atlanta United Academy. You got your first homegrown MLS player of the week in Caleb Wiley. You got a Johnny Fortune making his MLS debut. The 10th homegrown to make an appearance in an official match for the first team. To do that this fast, amazing. Number two thing that makes me smile about this game the dog that ran on the field, in El Salvador, in the Alianza-Philadelphia game last week. Good boy. Uh, the good boy earned the man of the match award for sure. Quick feat, all four of them. And number three, a good snow game always makes me smile. The orange ball makes me smile. Minnesota and Red Bulls had one of those Saturday night. 1-1 draw. It was ugly. Minnesota completed 48% of their passes. The lowest single game number ever recorded in league history. But it was fun to watch at times anyway. Uh, there's like snow and ice and things flying in the air, is great. All right, join Mike Conti and me for stoppage time Wednesday afternoon, two o'clock, 929 the game Facebook page and on Twitch. March the match day will post on the Off the Work Pod Off the Woodwork podcast and on the 929 the game YouTube page on Friday. And then we get started at seven o'clock on Saturday night. Five stripes countdown, Portland Timbers in town. Kickoff, 7:39. Don't forget, you can listen to our commentary on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV if you're not already listening on the radio or on the Odyssey app or on the Atlanta United app. Full-time report will be one hour long after the final whistle. Thanks for hanging out with me for Atlanta Soccer tonight. Be back next week. Adios, everybody. This episode
1: is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?